Ladies and gentlemen, we are going back to the moon. That's right. If you haven't heard, NASA officially announced that we are going back to the moon. And there's a twist this time because we're not just going back to walk around or plant a flag, but we're actually going there supposedly to stay. And if that's not exciting enough, from the moon, we're actually going to try and get to Mars. Now, as someone who's fascinated by so many things scientific, especially dealing with space and the universe, this news really calls to mind something that's at the heart of my enthusiasm for creation. In other words, it ties to a core of who I am. But let me back up a little bit, because I'm not talking about wanting to be a scientist or wanting to be an astronaut. I'm talking generally about how science inspires people, not just for the sake of knowledge and discovery, but in art as well. It all starts with curiosity, which as humans is kind of built into us. And I'll tell you right now, it starts with curiosity and it ends with curiosity. And that middle ground is where we do some pretty interesting things and we ask some pretty interesting questions. For me, at some point during that journey, I asked the question, why do aliens have to be the same size as us? Is that weird? Well, let me explain. Because that may sound a little bit confusing to you, but it's actually one of the most profound questions I might ever ask. So let me back up for a minute. I used to refer to myself as a lifelong horror fan. From a young age, as early as three or four, I remember seeing my first films, and a lot of them were horror movies courtesy of my mom, and even my dad, to a lesser extent. Movies in general were something that I started consuming very young and pretty much didn't stop. I absorbed so many movies and so many horror movies, probably more so than you'd recommend for a kid that age. But because of the environment I grew up in and the parents I had, I was able to absorb these things in the most innocent and the most innocuous way that led to a lot of positive things as opposed to the assumed negative connotations or results from watching these kind of movies. In any case, I used to watch a lot of horror movies and thought of myself as a horror fan when really I had an epiphany in the past couple years, especially when I started writing more. And in this realization, I found that I am not actually so much a horror fan, per se, as I am a science fiction fan. Now, some people might lump the categories together, and they intertwine, and they overlap, no doubt. However, there's a certain aspect to science fiction that can be missing in horror. And when I say horror, pure horror, I'm kind of referring to the direction that is more so about the bloodletting, and the monster or the killing and less about something that's grounded in logic, reason, and even science. And I realized that everything that I've ever loved passionately in cinema and in literature always ties back to a science fiction root. Even zombies. How zombies? 
Some people might see zombies as a monster that involves a lot of killing and bloodletting and is part of horror iconography that is a given. Except when you look at the films that started that genre, when you look at George Romero's films, when you look at The Walking Dead, there's no denying that there is a scientific base to the storyline, which is to say we're talking about transmittable diseases, we're talking about infection, we're talking about pandemic. These are real-life properties. They are based in the scientific world and have rules and really build the framework around the horror aspect of the monsters or the enemy, what have you. And so I realized that all these films that I love, all these scary movies, really have some kind of base in reality. It's another reason why I think I love Stephen King and his work so much is because he builds his stories in a world that we know, a world that's familiar to us, with people that are familiar to us, in a time that's familiar to us. And this is not to knock fantasy worlds where everything is made up from the characters and species to the locations and even planets. It's just a different way of imagining how to tell these stories. And so when you have a story that's fundamentally based in reality, and there's that one element that is very unreal, well, there's the, the crossing of the line between science and fiction. Because the science part of it is the things that we can measure and predict and expect and that we know to be, quote, true. And then the fiction part is the part that we don't know yet, the mystery. So it's clear that the world of science fiction is really where my mind lives. In terms of the curiosity about space travel, when we look up into the stars, we wonder a couple things. One, will we ever go up there? And two, is anyone else out there? Fundamentally, I think these are two properties that are built into the human species that historically we've explored in various ways, from storytelling to science to the engineering of aircrafts and spacecrafts and travel. Looking up into the sky tends to be associated with questioning our own existence and why we're here and just exploring the vastness of space and the universe and all the things that we don't know. But rather than get philosophical about it, I want to focus on that specific notion of curiosity. Because on one hand, we're looking up at the skies and we're wondering, are we going to ever go out there? Are we going to ever make it to another planet? And of course we did to the moon once, and now we're going back, which is really, really exciting because we're not just going back to do the same thing, we've got other plans. That's not the end destination. We want to go even further. And if the space travel films we've seen over the past couple decades, especially ones like The Martian, are any indication of the possibilities and the ramifications of actually leaving our planet, then that's a pretty exciting thing to explore. Though it's hard to ignore the fact that there is that aspect of guilt and almost escape that's almost an undercurrent of this mission, where a skeptic or even a cynic might say, yeah, well, we're trying to go to another planet or other planets because we're destroying this one. And I have no argument there. But this conversation is not so much the environmental side of things. It's more so the creativity and curiosity side. That part of my mind loves to consider this information that we are reaching for the stars 
and we're going to try and go there again. There's the other component, though. Apart from the idea that we as a species would continue to explore and expand our existence and go places that we've never gone, there is the obvious and well-explored notion of whether or not we are alone. And while this has been explored in many different ways, clearly from a cinematic and literature perspective, we're talking about aliens. And while I love alien movies, I cannot begin to list how many extraterrestrial and alien movies I like. I've found over the years that I've developed a very specific angle at how I like to explore my curiosity with the notion of aliens. Because there seems, especially since the 40s and 50s, to be a very pervasive paradigm concerning how we, as humans, think about aliens. The obvious fact is that our portrayal or imagining of these other species is always hostile. Of course, you've got the exceptions. You've got your ETs. You've got your friendly aliens. But that seems to fall into a distant category of children's movies and adventure genre. But by and large, we envision aliens and the unknown to be a threat. And I think that's only logical considering that we are afraid of each other. Why wouldn't we be afraid of something so different? When you look at the comparisons to how we treat race and ethnicity and equality, we are still a long ways of accepting each other. So it seems to make sense that our imagined harmony with something completely different from us, but somehow as smart or smarter than us, is an extreme threat to our collective self-worth as a species. And so in stories and in science fiction, we tend to embody these other beings as somehow a mirror image of ourselves, but with the worst and most hostile and vindictive qualities that we could ever dream of. Not just in their appearance being completely otherworldly, but in their intent and in their view of us. And so for decades, alien portrayals in films have tended to go the way of the monster. And yet it's a monster that's somehow familiar to us. So whatever kind of alien is attacking us, there's always a sense that are coming to take us over because somehow we are not good enough or we are good enough, but good enough to eat. Something along the lines of wiping out the human race because we are not worthy and ultimately, it mirrors this hostility that I feel like we have towards each other, this unrelenting need to be superior. We could go into the psychology of why we design and why we write monsters the way we do, especially aliens, but I think the analogies are already too self-evident because of how we treat each other, especially considering our differences, whatever they may be. So that made sense. But it's gotten so played out, and it's made me ask so many questions. And ultimately, these questions led to, why do the aliens have to look like us? Why do they have to have two legs and be just as tall as us? This sounds like a really petty thing to consider, but in writing, I really found this angle to be fascinating because it's something that's not too often explored. And for me, puts a twist on this genre that is not often seen.
But then you may ask, why? Well, why not? Why wouldn't they be as big as us? There seems to be evidence of UFOs, and there seems to be evidence of size relativity when it comes to planets and objects. But at the same time, when we're looking up at the planets and we're wondering and we're curious, there are fundamental properties of the laws of physics that we acknowledge, but we don't connect with our assumptions of extraterrestrials. Let me tell you what I mean. So when we break everything down to its essential properties, we go down to smaller and smaller components and cells and molecules and atoms. And those components are relative to us the way we and our planet even is relative to the universe. So essentially, if you look at cells and you look at molecules, they're almost a parallel to how our planets look in the scope of the universe. There's a theory that our universe is one of an infinite amount of universes, almost like a bubble in a bubble bath, where that single minuscule, to our eyes, bubble could hold an entire universe, but it's next door to an almost infinite amount of others, and they will never know each other. Men in Black was one of the first movies to kind of insert that into the idea that Orion's Belt is this very, very small thing that contains an entire civilization of beings. But when you think about us relative to the universe, isn't that the same thing? So to me, the idea of size and how that was relative to aliens was something to think about, something to explore. So what am I actually saying? Am I saying that aliens are going to be much smaller than us or much larger than us? Well, I don't know. That's the idea to plant as a seed to see if anything comes out of it. And as a writer, that was very tantalizing to me. Another part of that is the question of, are they going to be hostile or are they going to be nice? Well, as much as I want to lean towards nice or deny the, the possibility of hostility, there's really no way to tell, except when I think about an analogy made in the movie Contact, where the question was whether or not this alien contact that's being made is of a malicious intent towards us as a species. And while people went, no, extraterrestrial communication is to benefit both species and so on, and other people said, no, they want to wipe us out because they want to consume resources or consume us, the answer probably really lies somewhere in the middle or even off to the side in a completely different area, which is to say that there was an analogy in the film where someone asked, why would they come so far across galaxies and time and space just to wipe us out? Does that make any sense? And the analogy actually mentioned in the film compared the perspective of aliens coming to this planet and wiping us out to us going halfway around the world to a remote island and destroying an anthill. The counterpoint to that was how bad would we feel if we did that? We wouldn't feel bad. So that too lends to my view of these questions of are we alone? Maybe we're not, but at the same time, I have no reason to believe that they are just murderous beings that want to annihilate us. If we take out the fact that we are mirroring our own fears of each other and that we are projecting our own hostilities into these alien characters, then really you would have beings that don't really care whether or not we live or die in the same way that we don't really care about that anthill. But even on a bigger perspective, with the pervasive questions of are we alone, 
Maybe we are, but did anyone even consider that if you look at the timeline from far back enough, you realize that maybe there have been countless other civilizations, but just not while we're here? We somehow assume that human history is the center point and focal point of all existence, when really we could be one of many species that have come, and we will go, before the next one comes, and so on and so forth. So much so that we don't overlap. Never mind that chance of finding another species in this galaxy or even this universe, but look at how the timeline matches up. Truthfully, we haven't been around a very long time. So in addition to the time conundrum, which in and of itself is complex and mind-boggling to think of how much time has gone before us and how much time will go after us, and to think that that would line up with any other species. But then you have to look at the species itself and analyze what that might be and think, well, what's the likelihood that other life would be on par with us in terms of intelligence, at least in an ability to communicate? If there is other life, it could fall into the category of organisms and things that have no ability to communicate with us, at least outwardly, in the way that we communicate with each other. So it's possible that there might be a life form in existence right now that we could somehow reach, but if they're just some kind of single-cell organisms on some distant planet or some rock floating in space, then really, are we going to consider those aliens? And how would that affect our need and yearning for reaching out? Let's move it up a notch and say, okay, what if there are beings like us, as intelligent as us, and with similar capabilities to us? Well, even if they were somewhere nearby in this universe, the fact that we can't even reach past a couple planets within our solar system doesn't make the likelihood that another planet like us would be able to reach us in that same way. So in that sense, there could be another Earth, which is a pretty interesting movie if you haven't seen it. But there's another type of alien that we don't often consider. No, we consider aliens to be far superior in the sense that if they have the capability of reaching us, of exploring our planet or coming here, the presumption there is that their intelligence is far higher and far superior to us to be able to create that technology and be able to come out here. Well, if we consider that, then we also have to consider if they are that far advanced compared to us, what use would they have to contact us? Would we go to that anthill and make the most concerted effort to try and understand the nature of those ants and their needs and their individuality and their yearning for some connection outside of their own species? Is that something that even concerns us? Picture them in our position relative to aliens in trying to reach out and make a connection to a higher species to somehow further our own species. If the ants could think about that, would they? What use are we to them? And what use are they to us? Except as some kind of curiosity, or perhaps maybe they're just taking up space or being a nuisance to us. There's an idea I've heard that in looking at our planet from above and in observing, that they don't want to make contact with us. That other civilizations see us and go, yeah, we're not going to touch that. But I digress. This is not a skeptical criticism on the idea of aliens, it's that idea of what do we do with the notion of these possibilities? 
And while we've already tackled space travel, and that's something that we're already trying to work through, it inevitably points to what else we'll find or who else we'll find. And that's really where my thought process comes in. Because in response to finding out that we are indeed going back out into space and we're going to the moon and we're going to stay there and maybe even go further than that, there's a couple different types of responses you can have in terms of inspiration to do something with that. The scientific mind would really want to understand the processes involved the technology involved and perhaps jump on that train of trying to further our knowledge and our capabilities with our technology and scientific methods to make sure that we can accomplish these goals. But to the creative mind, it filters into this other area that is in particular where my mind goes, which is this other slippery slope of a combination of philosophical and imaginative debating of how and why these things would or could be. So I think the travel portion is a little bit more measurable, something you can calculate a little bit easier, and that's heavily scientific. But then when you start theorizing about the rest of the unknown, it always brings us to the aliens. And really, from a creative standpoint, that's the rabbit hole my mind likes to go down. And so once I've gotten past those initial questions of, well, what kind of beings would live out there? Would they be beings that could reach out to us? And if they could reach out to us, what level of beings would they be? Would they have communication capabilities? Would they have travel capabilities? And what would that mean in terms of how we could interact with them? Then clearly I'm following the path of so many others who have tried to imagine what these answers would lead to. And in film and TV and popular mainstream culture, it's always led us to these images of ourselves that are so distorted and alien, quote, to us that we have no choice but to respond in the defensive. And that's kind of sad when you think about it, but of course it is entertaining. I'm not going to lie and say that I haven't enjoyed so many of the alien movies that I've grown up watching and even into adulthood. At the same time, there is that aspect that has been very overplayed and I feel like the questioning at some point just stopped. And that's where my mind tries to step in and take over, at least for my own purposes. From an artistic perspective, it makes me feel a little bit more motivated to try and contribute my thoughts into that pool of ideas. So if we can steer past the idea that these are little green men or little gray men, and all these kind of almost stereotypical notions of what we have established as being the norm of what an alien is, we can wipe that clean and really ask ourselves, well, why, why did we decide to make it like that? I think too much of that is composed of our own metaphorical representations of our fears as humans, plain and simple. To a large extent, that's what the horror genre is. It's just an embodiment of our fears, of ourselves, because as we know, there are no real monsters we also understand that people are capable of being monsters. And that's the sad reality. With aliens, I think there's a little bit less intensity and seriousness because really there is no template for it and there is no basis in what we would call reality. We can completely make it up. So naturally we will fill it in with the things we know and generally we probably know ourselves better than anything else. 
But for me, when I go down that path in that rabbit hole and I get past all the philosophical quandaries of are these going to be single cell aliens or are they going to be a super advanced technical race of beings, I find myself in a place where there are a few decisions or options that I've leaned towards that try and acknowledge these weird questions that I've had. The idea that all aliens have to be our size is pretty ridiculous. And I know that the idea of aliens to some to begin with is ridiculous, but let's suppose that we accept the premise that aliens exist in the same way that I would argue with someone about running zombies versus shambling zombies. And inevitably someone says, well, dead people can't be alive anyway. Well, obviously, but let's, let's assume we're past that and we've accepted that. If I accept that there are aliens, there's no reason for me to believe that they are going to be my size, that they'll be bipedal, that they'll have two arms, two eyes, that had, in my eyes, they would resemble nothing like me at all. There's no reason they should resemble me in any sense of the word. They could come in so many forms that we are unaware of that it seems kind of lame to just default them to something that looks kind of like us. When you think of the diversity of species and creatures on this planet alone, and you think of how many of them actually resemble us, why would we actually assume that creatures who do not originate from this planet would resemble anything like us in a physical sense? So based on that supposition, I have gone the direction to assume that no, I'd like to explore the possibility that they are going to be very different in size. And so that's where I end up getting to the question, why do aliens have to be just as big as us? Why do we have to be the same size as them? Why do we have to be anything like them at all? Because true to the word and definition of alien, they should be very different from us. It's arriving at these questions after all of these suppositions that I find a sandbox to play in. I've written two stories about this topic. The first story is called Grow Fonder, which was published the same year it was released in 2017. The other one is called Ships Passing in the Night. And in those two stories, for the first time, I really tried to put my own take on these notions of space travel and the existence of life. But I tried to do so with this different angle that I hadn't seen portrayed quite yet, or at least as often as I would like to. In Grow Fonder, I set the scene of the entire storyline by literally drawing a comparison between how bacteria cells consume other cells and how that seems to mirror our planetary juxtaposition in the universe as just a big cell floating around in perhaps a larger environment or even organism. And what that would mean if the aliens were consistent with that proportion. I don't want to give too much away, but if you imagine looking into the microscope and seeing these events take place and then backing up and imagining that happen on a planetary scale, well, there's Grow Fonder. In Ships Passing in the Night, this is a little bit more straightforward and leans a little bit more towards a traditional approach to aliens. But in that story as well, the others that are witnessed are of a size that is not relative to us at all. In fact, it's closer to the size of a telephone pole. And if you've read the story, you'll know why I make this comparison. So maybe this is not the most expected explanation for that question. 
But at the very least, if it made you curious about the fact that we're going back out into the space, or the notions of what we might find when we go out there, the bottom line is that this ends with curiosity. It starts with asking questions, it ends with asking questions. As we have decided to go back out there, I hope we can ask a lot more questions and maybe even find some answers to them. And if you ask me whether or not we're all alone and if we'll find someone out there, or even scarier, if someone will find us, well, I don't have an answer. But you know where to find me. I'm going to be in my anthill, waiting. <laughs>